Are you ready for the word tonight? Come on, are you ready for the word? I know you are because you're here on Wednesday and you didn't just come just to be here. You came to get something from God. And so I, I'm going to, uh, we're going to be talking uh, this January uh, about changing to change. And um, I just want to remind everybody, if you weren't here on Sunday, we're going to be uh, transitioning our Wednesday nights in February. Why? Because we're making room for expansion. Uh, so this is going to be our last month for Wednesday night services uh, on every Wednesday night. We will continue on with our first Wednesdays every month. Uh, so they're going to be bigger and better than ever before. And we're turning those first Wednesdays into like expansion Wednesdays. So we're going to be talking about expanding our vision expanding our faith, expanding the possibilities of what God can do in us and through us this year. So those first Wednesdays are going to be great. Uh, but on Wednesdays, we're making room for our mission to be fulfilled. And you know here that our mission is creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community. And so if we're going to create community, we have to do that in relationships because that's where community is created. And so what we're going to begin to offer on Wednesdays is small groups that are going to be meeting in all different locations here inside of the church. Child care is going to be provided. We started doing this on Tuesdays. It has been a tremendous success. Um, uh, most of this entire building is, is filled up on Tuesdays. And so we're just going to begin to replicate that on Wednesdays because what we found is a lot of people want to lead a group, but they don't want to have it in their home for a number of reasons. And so they, but they would, they would love to, to lead a group. And so now we've opened up our facility because we're, we're making room for expansion. So in 2018, um, that's what we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights beginning in February. Uh, but January, we're going to be talking about changing to change. And tonight we're going to be talking specifically about changing the way that you think. And, and I, I just want you to, as we go into this series, that I'm not just changing to be changed. I'm changing to bring change. And that is, the, that, is the, that is the underlying theme of our talks here uh, over the next few weeks. I, I'm not changing just to be changed. I'm changing to bring change. I'm not just growing as we talk on Sundays. I'm not growing just to grow. I am growing to bring growth into the kingdom. I am growing to bring growth into my family. I am growing to bring growth into these other areas of my life. It's not just about me. It is bigger than me. And so I'm not changing just so that I can be changed and experience the benefits of being changed. No, I want to bring change into my world, bring change into my family, bring change into my workplace. I want to bring change with me everywhere that I go. And one of the ways that this happens is when you know your why. You have to know your why. Why do I want to change to change? Why do I want to grow to grow? Why do I want those things? And I'm going to share just a little bit of my story. In the beginning of my journey with Christ, um, I was personally motivated more by purpose than I was by purity. Let, let me explain what, what I mean. I knew that personal holiness was important. I, I did not ignore that, that God had called me to live a righteous life. But it definitely took a back seat in my life to purpose. Because here, here's, the, here's the reason why. When I read the scriptures, especially the gospels, this is what I discovered. I discovered that I had been saved to be sent. When I, read the, when I began to go on my, 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 my journey with Jesus and I began to read the word, reading through the gospels, reading through uh, the epistles that Paul wrote, I realized that I had been saved for a 
purpose. God had rescued me not just for the purpose of me being rescued. He didn't bring me out of bondage just for the purpose of me being out of bondage. He did not pull me up out of the pit just so I could be out of the pit. No, what he did was he saved me so that he could send me. I wasn't saved just for the purpose of being sanctified. I was saved for the purpose of being sent. I was saved so that I could live a life being sent into the world. We see this in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus uh, appears here to the 11 disciples in verse 16. It says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Say, say some doubted. Okay, they worship, but some doubted. There's 11 of them. They all worship, but then some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you have probably heard that. If you have been to church, you've probably heard that verse multiple times. We, we call this the Great Commission. But, but have you ever really thought about who Jesus was speaking to in this moment, where they were in their personal lives? Peter, just a few days before, had recently argued with Jesus and basically called him a liar. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, I'm not. You're not. I'm not going to deny you. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, I will go. I will die for you. Jesus said, no, 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 you are going to deny me. Not only, did, not only did he argue with Jesus and call him a liar, and then he gets so angry, he cuts off um, an armed guard's ear. When they come to arrest Jesus, he gets so mad, he pulls out a sword and cuts the man's ear off. Jesus has to reach down, pick up his ear, and put it back on for He says, Peter, put your sword away, man. Haven't you learned anything in these three years of being with me? Then Peter goes and he denies that he even knows the Lord on three separate occasions, three different people. Now, I don't know what your definition of sanctified is, but that doesn't sound very sanctified to me. That's not very holy and very righteous. Then, not only that, now you got the other ten guys there, and they all scattered. They, they weren't anywhere around when Jesus was in his moment of need, in his moment of crises, when he was on the cross. There were, there were no disciples around there. When Jesus appears to them the first time, the disciples are locked in a room. They are, they are hiding. They are afraid. And Jesus has to walk through the door because the disciples were worried about themselves. They weren't worried about what just happened to Jesus. They were just worried about their own lives. Some of them were afraid. We see in this text that some of them were even doubting, and there were some probably doing both. Some were afraid and some were doubting, but yet this is what Jesus says to them after all of that. Go, preach, baptize, and make disciples. Huh? Did Jesus not know who he was talking to? Did he not know what had transpired in these people's lives? And Jesus comes and he says, I want you to go. I want you to preach, I want you to baptize, and I want you to make disciples. And then he adds this statement, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And Jesus could have put in parentheses everything that you are currently not doing. <laughs> That's what I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them everything that 
I taught you, even though you aren't currently doing everything that I taught you, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to baptize and I want you to make disciples. And I believe that Jesus sent these disciples on a mission because he knew that along the journey they would become sanctified. He said, I want you to go, I want you to preach, I want you to baptize, I want you to do, I want you to make disciples. I want you to go on this mission because along this journey, you will become righteous. Along this journey, you will become sanctified. And then he says this at the end of that verse that we just read. He says, surely I am with you always. Now, when we hear that, most of the time we use this scripture for comfort. The Lord is with me always. He, he is with me always. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We use this scripture for comfort, but I think that many times God uses this scripture for conformity. God uses it to make us obedient. God says, I'm coming with you, and I'm coming with you, and, and we have to understand this about Jesus. Jesus just isn't just a loyal travel companion. No, Jesus is a disciple-making, life-changing, no-excuse-taking Lord. That's who Jesus is. And he says, I'm coming with you, and I'm going to be with you all the time, and I am going to correct you, and I am going to encourage you. I am going to rebuke you, and I am going to compliment you because that's who I am. I am a disciple-making, life-changing, no-excuse-taking Lord. And Jesus says, and I'm coming with you every single day of your life. And I believe that when the Lord spoke that to them, I believe that they understood it because they had been with Jesus. Many times we just think, oh, he's just going to come and give us joy and give us peace, and he's going to be with us, and he's going to hold our hand along the journey, and the Lord shows up, and he shows up not just holding our hand, but he shows up with a word, pointing something out in our lives, shining on some things in our, in our lives. And, and like I said earlier, my motivation uh, in the very beginning was, was purpose before purity. My desire to fulfill the purpose of God is what led me in my life to being purified by God. I'm just telling you my experience. I'm just telling you my journey tonight. I started on a purpose from God. I, I got saved when, when, when I was 13 years old. I began to read the Bible I began to read massive amounts of the Bible because when I, when I really gave my heart to Christ, I was at Evangel Christian Academy. I was probably right, I was either just 13 or just turning 14. I don't remember the, the exact time, but it was right in that time frame. Uh, and, and whenever I encountered the Lord, uh, it, it was in a chapel service at Evangel Christian Academy. Uh, there was no altar call. There was no preacher. There was one person on a keyboard singing, singing a song, and uh, he had like one speaker. I mean, it, it wasn't anything grand or glorious at, at all. And I just remember f experiencing the presence of God really for the first time in my life. I, I lifted up my hands there, and I just said, God, I don't know what this is right now, but whatever this is, this is what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. And, and whatever this I give you my life, I, just, I, I had heard kind of some people pray different things. Before my parents went to church and they raised me in church, but but this was really my first personal experience, and so it was it was this moment that I really surrendered um, my life to the Lord. I began to read um, I began to read the Bible because I thought like that's what all of my other like friends in school like they call themselves Christians like I thought that's what they did. I thought all of them read their Bible. I I didn't know that that was not normal. So I was like, man, I've got to catch up. Like, my friends, they're, like, way ahead of me. They've gone to Evangel for years. Like, they've been in Bible studies. Like, they've been reading their Bible. Like, they know their Bible. I've got to catch up. So, I, I mean, I remember multiple days sitting down, and, and I, would, I would read the entire book of Mark, like, just all 16 chapters and just 
I was 14 years old because I'm, I'm catching up. Like, I think there's going to be a quiz or something. Like, they're going to ask me a question. I got to be able to know this question. And so I began to just read massive amounts of the word. And then I have another encounter with God when I'm uh, 18 years old. And that's really when the Lord really showed up in my life. I feel like uh, the Lord really called me into ministry. It was a divine uh, moment um, in, in, in my life. And it was really at that time that I got consumed with purpose. I, I really fell in love with Jesus at, at 13, but I got consumed with the mission of God when I was 18. And when I was 18, I said, I'm going to commit my life to this purpose. Now, it, it, it wasn't necessarily the thing that said, oh, wow, I, I want to I live my life to be pure, and I want to live my life to be righteous, and I want God to come in and clean everything out of me. No, what I, got, what I got fixated on is there is a mission that there is before me. God has a purpose for my life. There are people that need to hear this message. There are people that need to be prayed for, and, and God is equipping me to be able to go and to do these things. And, and so uh, that's, really what, that's really what drew me in. That's really where I went. Because here's, But here's, here is the ultimate truth and all of that is that the only way you can be successful in fulfilling a long-term purpose is if your life becomes purified because I can't fulfill my long-term purpose of bringing change into people's lives if I am living a hypocritical life I can't continue this race of fulfilling my purpose if I don't allow Jesus to speak to my life. You see, the only way that I can bring change, which is what I was fixated on, which, which, what is what I wanted to do, the only way that I could bring change is if I was being changed. So my mind was fixed on the purpose, but God said, okay, so, so just like for the disciples, God comes to me and God says, okay, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to baptize and I want you to make disciples and I want you, I've got a mission for you. And it was when I began that mission and I began to walk this thing out that all of a sudden now I realize, wow, I can't fulfill this purpose if I'm not being purified. I can't, I can't bring the change I want to bring if God's not changing me on the inside. And so it was as I was walking out my mission and my purpose that God began to deal with me because I realized if I don't let him deal with me that it's going to hinder my influence it's going to hinder my impact it's going to hinder my purpose and I was so compelled with this purpose of making a difference and bringing change into the world that I was saying God do whatever you have to do on the inside of me not for the purpose of just doing it inside of me but I want to be effective in bringing change into the world and it was by my, my drive for that purpose that the Lord was able to do a purifying work in my heart. Does that make sense tonight? This has just been, this has just been my experience. That the people who focus almost entirely on just being changed are never changed enough to be qualified to bring change. Let me just say that again. This has been my experience that the people that are focused almost entirely on just being changed, that they never get to the place where they are changed enough to feel qualified to be able to bring change. Why? Because their attention is on themselves and upon their imperfections and on how far they really have to go for their life to be just like Jesus. And they keep saying things like this, one day I will, one day when I. And they keep saying things, as, as long, I've got to keep being changed because I'm not 
qualified yet to bring the change that I want. And they, they might want to make the difference. They might even hear their pastor or preachers talking about making a difference. But their focus is on being changed. And when your focus is on being changed and not bringing change, I believe it, it, becomes, it, it can become a, a thing that can trip us up because we were saved for the purpose of bringing Like When you look at the Gospels and what Jesus told the disciples, you just go read the commands that he gave them. And he was always about the action. I want you to go. I want you to be the city on the hill. I want you, you are the light of the world. You, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus was, was pumping his disciples full. Even after their failure, he shows up and he says, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you. And very rarely does Jesus ever sit down and say, guys, the purpose of me coming to this earth was so you just could just clean up your act. So you could be worthy, be holy, be completely righteous. As Destiny said right before, it's Jesus that makes us righteous. So we really end up on this chase that is never going to be fulfilled until I can get clean enough, pure enough, righteous enough, qualified enough to be able to bring the change that I really want to bring. And then this, this verse in Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I believe that people get weary, people get burnt out, and their heart gets sick trying to be holy enough to make a difference. I've seen this all my life. From, from even my friends as teenagers, when, when, they, when they were so focused on, on, on just them, themselves, not looking out to the world, not looking to the mission, but only looking in at themselves, what I found in them is they are the people that got so tired. They are the people that they lost hope because hope deferred makes a heart sick, and they, and they want to do something great for God, and they wanted to be used by God, and they wanted to go on a mission, but because they never felt like I'm good enough to go, they never went, and hope deferred is eventually going to make the heart sick, and when your heart gets sick, eventually you are going to quit because you will not live with a sick heart. Say, this isn't for me. I guess I, I just can't do it. And they end up and quit. But look at this. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Imperfect people who begin to make a difference, what they discover is they discover a tree of life. And when you discover a tree of life, guess what happens to you? You become alive. And when you become alive, you find the strength necessary to continue to be transformed in your life. Whenever I fulfill that purpose, my dream, my dream is being fulfilled. My dream of making a difference. And all of a sudden, there is a, something in me becomes, it, it comes alive. And when, when I become alive on the inside because my dream of making a difference is being fulfilled, now I have the strength that it takes and the motivation that it takes and, and, and the inspiration that it takes on the inside to, to begin to do the things that I need to do to continue this journey in my life. But if all I'm doing is focus on the inside, it's, it's going to wear me out. And this is why your mindset, this is why the way that you think is so important. Because your answer, your answer or your thinking to this question, what is the purpose of my salvation? What is the purpose of my, my salvation? Your answer, your thinking just towards that question dictates to a large degree the direction your life takes after you encounter Christ. Many of you, many of you right now, 
are, are where, where you are right now in your Christian journey because your answer to that question. What is, your, what is the purpose of your salvation? You see, if you say the purpose of my salvation is get to heaven, then guess what you're living for? Heaven. That's it. Jesus didn't say, I've just come to give you eternal life. He said, I also came to give you what? Abundant life. Abundant life here on the earth. So you're looking forward to something. So that, that, that can't be the fulfillment of our purpose. Jesus said, I have, I have come to call you to follow me, that you would follow me and do what I do. When Jesus came, Jesus wasn't living just for heaven. What, Jesus, Jesus was praying for the sick. Jesus was preaching the gospel. Jesus was doing all of these different things. And he said, I want you to model me. I want you to follow after me. I want you to do what I do, and I want you to speak like I speak. And it was, it was their, their, their actions that brought about the change in their lives. What is the purpose of my salvation? Whenever you, whenever you think about that question, your response, what is the purpose of my salvation if I answer heaven? Or what if I answer this? What if I answer becoming a better person? Becoming a better person. Be, be, just, just being more like God. Okay, Then you're going to spend your time trying to be like God. And as you spend time looking internally, guess what you're not doing? You're not looking externally. And Jesus was all about the people that were around him. And as you go on this journey, as you go on this journey with God, guess what God does? God does the work on the inside. Whenever we continue to focus on the outside, then it brings our focus back to the inside because, once again, I can't bring change if I'm not being changed. And so it creates this, this, this process in my life. But it starts when I realize the purpose of my salvation, the purpose of my salvation. And it was in the early stages of my journey with God when I was reading the Word of God that I began to develop this different pattern of thinking, and it began to emerge in my life because here's what, what I discovered later as, as I kind of grew up. This is what I discovered, that my friends were thinking this, I don't want to go to hell. But my thinking was, I want to bring other people to heaven. I wasn't concerned about going to hell. I was concerned about bringing other people to heaven. My friends were thinking, I want to be a good Christian. My thinking was, I want to tell other people about Christ. My friends were thinking, I hope I don't mess up. But my thinking was, even if, even if I mess up, I'm not going to miss out. I'm not going to miss out on this life that God has for me. Even if I mess up, I'm not going to miss out on this life. And so this new thought progression begins to emerge. And as this thought progression begins to emerge, now after all these years, now I'm doing this like I'm not thinking about this like at 16 years old. Like this is what I'm doing. I'm just looking back at my life and now I'm realizing the different thought patterns. Where did these, thought, where did these thoughts come from? These thoughts came from the word of God. As I read the Word of God, the Word of God began to reprogram my mind, and I began to think differently. And I've shared all of this so far just so you could see the influence that, that your thinking and mindset has on where you currently are in life. Because I want you to understand tonight, if I was 17 years old and if I would have developed the mentality of, I just want to be a good Christian and I just want to be clean and I just want to be pure and I did not get addicted to a purpose, there's no way that I would be sitting before you tonight. There's no way that I would be pastoring this church. There's no way that I would be who I am 
am today if I didn't set my sights on a purpose. And by setting my sights on that purpose, God began to do this work on the inside of me. As I walked forward, God began to do this work on the inside of me that was changing me and transforming me. Why? Because I wanted to bring change. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to bring change, you got to be changed. I'm saying, God, I want this purpose. God's saying, hey, that's great. I want you to go after that purpose. But as you go after that purpose, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you righteous. Things in our life that have to change. You stay focused on that purpose. And as you stay focused on that moving forward, I'm going to do this work on the inside of you. And so you get purpose with your purity instead of just a heart that's sick, burn out, worn out, frustrated, confused. And it's this, it's this mindset, it's this way of thinking that, that, has, that really has brought me into the place where I am in my life. I, I'm going to give you a few principles of change, and we're just going to talk about a, a couple more things, and then, and then we're going to be done tonight. Um, let me just give you the, these. These are seven principles of change. I'm going to go through these real quick because we're going to be speaking about this again um, uh, again next week. Um, uh, so, yeah, so this is kind of like a cliffhanger. I'm really sorry. And so I'm just going to give you, like, you know, the first half of the book. You got to come for the second half of the book uh, next, uh, next Wednesday. But seven principles of change. Here's the first principle of change is awareness. Awareness. The first principle of change is awareness. I have to be aware of what's happening around me and what's happening in me. And these work for anything. I'm not just talking about changing the way you think. I'm talking about anything in your life. Awareness is the first principle of change. I have to be aware of what's happening around me and what is happening in me. The second principle of change is, is attention. Attention. And we say a lot that you have to pay attention because attention ha- always has a cost. And so you have to pay attention. So you have to give your attention if you're going to bring change. Uh, the third principle of change is attitude. Attitude. I love uh, Winston Churchill's quote that says, Success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Um, that, that, that is why you have to maintain a good attitude through the process of change. Number four, uh, the fourth principle of change is avoidance. Avoidance. Uh, you, there's, there's some things in your life that need to have a danger sign on them. They, 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 they need to be shouting at you, and you need to avoid these different things. These, uh, the, it's, uh, and for some periods of life, it could be certain people. At times, it's certain places. Um, and you don't, you, you, don't, uh, you don't see it if you don't get close to it. So you need to remove yourself. The fifth thing uh, dealing with change, fifth principle, is addition. Um, because you, you, can't, you can't just avoid something. You also have to add something. You can't just focus on removal. You have to focus on replacement. So you pull something away. Yeah, you have to avoid something, but then you have to replace that thing as well with, with something different. The sixth principle of change is accountability. Pride always says that you can do it alone. Humility says that you need help. And so if you're going to change, bring change, lasting change in your life, you're going to need accountability. You're going to need somebody to journey with you to hold you accountable during the process. And then the seventh principle of change is applause. You need to let other people congratulate you and cheer for you. Um, and if you don't have other people there to congratulate you and cheer for you, then you have to learn how to cheer for yourself. You have to learn how to throw your own parties and pat yourself on, on the back and, and encourage yourself because applause is an important part of change. So we see these, these seven key components of change. And um, it, it, was, it was through the Word of God, as I've said, that I began to see 
this different way of living. As I was reading the scripture, here's what happened. As I read the scripture, there, 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 there became a confrontation. There came a confrontation as I was reading the scripture from the way that my friends were seeing, and, and maybe even from the way, now, now you, you have to hear this, even there was a confrontation from what I was reading in the word also with what even some people were preaching. Because there was some preaching that I was hearing at 14 years old that was not really lining up with the real word of God. It was, there was some, some messages that I was hearing, so I was in this confrontation. Lord, this is what I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, God, this is what your word says, but this is what I'm hearing. God, this is what your word says, but this is what I'm seeing. And so the word began to bring this confrontation. And what was the confrontation is I was stepping into change, and the first principle of change is awareness. So I became aware there's another way to think. There's another way to live. There is another way. There are these two paths that I can take. And so the first place of awareness, if I'm going to change anything, if I'm going to change my thinking, I have to first be aware that there is another way. Just because I've thought this way for the last 37 years of my life doesn't mean that that's the way I have to think about it today. There are two paths. There are two roads. And the Bible speaks so many times about these two paths. The Bible says this. Uh, so this is when we become aware. This is when we really see it. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, nope, that's not the road I want. See, ever since Adam and Eve ate, that forbid, ate from that forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, this has been our struggle. Which way are we going to go? Which road are we going to take? What, what are we going to do? The Bible says about Adam and Eve that before they ate that fruit, the Bible says that they were naked and not ashamed. They were not ashamed because there was no fear. There was nothing to be afraid of. There was nothing to be ashamed of. They were in the garden. But then they chose to take another road because the serpent came and, and, and talked to Eve and convinced Eve that God was actually holding out on them. And so she said, you know what? I'm going to take that road because I believe that God's holding out on me. And if I, if I take this road, then I can be like God, knowing good and evil. And so that's exactly what she did. She took that fruit. She ate. And the next time we see Adam and Eve, what are they doing? God is walking in the garden and they are hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? And they, Adam says, because we are naked and we are ashamed. So now all of a sudden, shame is in the world and fear is in the world. They're hiding because they're afraid. They're hiding because they're ashamed. And do you know what they lost in the midst? They lost their rest. They lost their rest because everything was perfect and peaceful. No fear. Everything was at ease before. And then they, God says, I want you to take this pathway. And they say, nope, we're going to take this other pathway. And they lost their peace and they lost their rest. Now they are living in fear and living under shame. And that's been the struggle of all of our lives. That's what we do. We, we, we come to this crossroad. Jeremiah says, you come to the crossroad. God says, choose the old way, the godly way, and find rest for your souls. And we as humans many times say, nope, that's not the way 
that I want to go. Even Jesus speaks of these two pathways, these two roads. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. She says, hey, there's two roads. You, you have to first acknowledge that. Be aware, we are talking about Two distinct roads. There is the way of God, and then there is the way of whatever you want to call it. It's the way of your flesh. It's the way of darkness. It's the way of the enemy. It's the way of the world. Whatever, you, whatever definition you want to put on that way, it's just the anti-God way. There is a God way, and then there is this other way. And Jesus says there's many people that are walking on their own way. Many people are walking the walk of their flesh and uh, of darkness. Many people are, are serving themselves. That, that way is broad. That gate is wide, but there's this other gate, this old godly path that will take you to the place of peace and rest for your souls, and it will take you not only there, it will also take you to life is what he says here, but few are going to walk that pathway. You have to be aware there, there are two distinct paths. Here's the cool thing. We get to choose which way we walk. Nobody gets to choose for you. Nobody. You get to choose what road you are going to walk. And the road we walk and the life we live is so closely tied to the way we think. That's why the Bible speaks so clearly to this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes to us and he says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Okay, that's road one, right? The behavior and the customs of this world world, the behavior and the customs of the standard of this world, the way of this world. Don't, don't follow that behavior and custom, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will be able to know the will of God, that which is good and pleasing to him and is perfect. I love the amplified version. It says this, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. It's superficial. It's not real. It will always disappoint you. It's never going to come through for you. But be transformed and progressively changed. Be transformed and be progressively changed. Not a one-time thing. Be progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Once again, two pathways. The way of the world, the standard of the world, and the way of God. There are two pathways for us to choose. Jesus laid it out there. Jeremiah laid it out there. Even, even the book of Proverbs lays it out there for us many times, talking about these two pathways that we have to choose from. Now, this is where awareness comes in. I have to be aware of what's around me. I have to be aware that there are two pathways. I also have to be aware that every single day I'm choosing which one of those pathways I'm going to walk. Because you prayed a prayer in 1999 and you gave your heart to Christ does not mean that you are walking down the right pathway today. 
You choose that pathway every single day. So I have to be aware today there are two pathways for me to choose from, and I am making a choice today in which pathway I am going to walk. Walk. One is going to take me to death. One is going to take me to life. One is going to rob me of my peace, and the other one is going to give me rest. There are two different pathways that I can take. I have to be aware of that. And then I have to be aware of what's happening in me. That's the choice that I'm making. And then I have to be aware of this, and you can't miss this. Change and transformation is possible. Because this is where many times we can get hung up. Because we've heard this verse so many times, but we've never seen the results. We've heard people preach about your life being transformed, and you've done all that you really know how to do, but the reality of it is is your, your life is really not transformed. And so now I'm living in this current reality, and we start saying things to ourselves like, I guess that's just not for me. I guess that verse is not really going to work for me. Well, that's okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. I'm not really experiencing the transformation. I'm not really experiencing that abundant life. I'm not really experiencing the overflow. So I guess it's not really working for me. No, listen, God said it. He can do it. Transformation is possible for every single person on this planet. Transformation is possible. But there's a few problems that we run into, and these are the problems that I want to talk about tonight as we close. Here's, here's one problem of our minds being renewed, of us changing the way that I think, is that scientifically proven, our brain is hardwired to focus on the negative. Scientifically proven, our brain is hardwired to focus on the negative. We are born with a natural proclivity to the negative. I was reading uh, this book. This is actually a fantastic book, and I'm going to be referring to it kind of through the rest of, of, of my talk, uh, but it is entitled, Rethink How You Think by Dr. David Stoop. Dr. David Stoop, rethink how you think, how to create lasting change today. And a lot of things that I, I share here are, are, are from this book. And he says this. He says that the brain is like Velcro when it comes to negative experiences and like Teflon when it comes to positive ones. Your brain is sticky when it comes to the negative. And it is slippery when it comes to the positive. And he says this. He says, what we think about before we fall asleep, he begins to talk about what we think about. When we lay down in bed, the, the, the typical person, this is where their mind goes. They, they typically go to something negative that's happened during the day or something negative that could possibly happen tomorrow. That is our natural human condition. That is, that is not a flaw in your life. That is a flaw with humanity. That is not something that, that, that makes something wrong with you. That is something that is wrong with us as humanity. That is the way that our brain, you know, the Bible says that you are born into sin. You realize you are born, with, you, 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 when you are born in sin, nobody has to teach you how to sin. Why? Because sin is already there. Is sin positive or negative? Negative. So you are already born with the proclivity to sin, so you're also born with the proclivity to the negative, for your mind to go to the negative. So when you lay down at sleep, you are going to go to the negative. He actually says that if you have 20 experiences in a day, and 10 experiences are positive, 9 experiences are neutral, and you have one negative experience, when you lay down at sleep to sleep, you're only going to think about one thing, and that's the one negative experience that you had. It's what your mind is going to always drift to. And then you begin to see 
how powerful the word of God is that, that when the word of God begins to teach us in the Old Testament, he says, I want you to teach the ways of God and teach the principles of God and teach the pathway of God. When you wake up in the morning, when you sit at the dinner table, and when you lay down to sleep is what it says in the Old Testament. You be proclaiming the word of God, speaking the word of God. Why? Why do we, why do we say, hey, get in bed, have a gratitude? There's so many things coming out now, even secular. This is even outside of Christianity now. Secular people saying when you get in bed type three things on your phone that were amazing things that happened that day why because even in the secular world they have found out your brain goes to the negative and when you go to sleep on the negative guess what you wake up in you wake up in the negative and when you wake up in the negative guess what you live in you live in the negative listen folks the secular world has figured it out and God was telling us this thousands of years ago before science ever came along to prove this he said this is what I want you to do because this will change your life life. He also says that we learn so much faster through pain than we do through pleasure. So painful experiences imprint more deeply in our mind than positive ones. So we remember pain and we forget the positive. It sticks in our mind, the negative, the painful. And we all struggle. We all struggle. Even the most optimistic person will struggle with the tendency towards the negative. Because our minds will take the shape of whatever we put in them. So when we lay down to sleep at night and we focus on the negative thing that happened that day, when we lay down to sleep at night and we think about the potential negative that could be happening, they say what we are literally doing is we are forming our mind. When we get in bed and we begin to, uh, we begin to ruminate worry, we begin to feel resentment, we begin to feel like uh, we've been cheated, we begin to have any other negative responses, what we are literally doing is downloading the negative into our brain, and then what ends up happening is it is hardwired to focus on what we have put into it. Isn't that amazing? What you think about hardwires your brain. So, so here what we see is we have, uh, we have to be aware. We are aware of these two paths, but we're not just aware of the two paths. We're aware of the part that we play. you got to be aware. This is the first principle to change. I've got to be aware. There are two paths, and I play a part in which path I am choosing. It's just not up to God today. It's not just flip a coin. No, I play a part. I am aware of the part that I play, and there is a responsibility that God has given me to make sure that I'm moving myself in the right direction so that he can give me what he wants to give me. It's the exact same thing as we talked about on Sunday. We talked about getting fit for expansion. And the first way we get fit is making sure we lay the foundation. Why? Because God wants to build something great on our lives, but the foundation we build is up to us. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to come and build that foundation for you. When he told that parable, he said, you build the foundation. And when the storm, when you build it on me, you, but you got to build it there. You build that foundation. Then when the storm comes, you will not be destroyed. That foundation is critical. And when I am building the foundation, what am I doing? I am saying, I choose this pathway towards life today. I play a part in that. I've got to be aware of that. And then you also must be aware of what you're up against. This is how, this is how important step one is to you seeing change in your life. You have to be aware of what you're up against. You got to know what you're facing. And now you don't have to wonder. Science has already proven it. You are up against negativity. 
you are fighting a negative bias in your life. Here's another problem that we have. This is the last one we'll talk about tonight. Here's another problem. Willpower is not enough. Willpower is not enough. Willpower alone is powerless in the long run. Uh, I read a book uh, last week called Changing, uh, Change Anything. Change Anything. It's a fantastic book. I would, I would uh, recommend it as well. It's written more, a little bit more from the secular perspective. This is actually, uh, this is actually a, a, a Christian book. It has incredible spiritual principles, full of the Word of God. Uh, the, but the, the Change Anything, it's, written, it's really written to business people. Uh, it's, a secular, um, it's a secular book, but, but very powerful, very, very profound. And what they talk about in this book is they talk about the willpower trap. The willpower trap. And, and in this willpower trap... Uh, he says that it traps us in two ways. The first way that we can get trapped in the willpower trap is when we, when we say, okay, um, all right, I'm going to bring change in my life, right? And we say, uh, I'm stronger than that chocolate glazed donut, you know? I'm a bigger person than it is, you know? I, uh, you know I, I, whatever it is that we're telling ourselves, that we're forcing ourselves into, in, into this, our, our will, what happens is, is whenever we fail, Okay, chances are most of us in this room have started a diet at one time that didn't end the way that we wanted it to go. You start, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And the next thing you know, you're eating ruffles at 2.30 in the morning. And we fail. And when we fail, we say, I just don't have the willpower it takes to do something like this. Okay, let's take it to Christianity. You can, you can live an abundant life. I'm going to do it. This is my year. This is my year. This is my year. I'm going after it. And here we are on January 10th. And maybe you've already let yourself down and you failed. And what happens is, is, is when we fail, we say, I guess that's just not for me. I guess I'll never be able to get to that standard of living. I guess I'll never see success there. And we fall into this trap of willpower. But there's two traps to willpower. It's not just when you fail. It's also when you have success. Because when you have success, you feel like your willpower is what changed you. Now, I'm telling you, I am, I am, I, I am guilty. Justin and I have had tremendous conversations uh, over, the, over this, this year. I'm, I'm about to finish here my, my second book, 10, 10 days into the year. I'm about to finish my second book because I've just been so into this. Because I really believe God's really been doing a work in me because so much of, of my life... I, I really believed was willpower. That I just willed myself into change. I willed myself. And probably if you've been in this church for very long, you've probably heard, you've probably heard that in my preaching. Now, it's not that willpower is bad, it's not that willpower is evil, and 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 we know that actually some people do have naturally have more willpower than others, but willpower alone is never the answer. Man, when I began to read these two books, and both of these books both speak independently, they both speak of the powerlessness of willpower. 
and that you fall into a trap of willpower, and I feel like it was my power, my willpower, the drive of my will that brought me through. And in Change Anything, what they begin to say is it wasn't your willpower, it's actually the skills that you had developed somehow that actually brought about the change. So when you think it's your willpower, you think that you did it, but in reality is you have skills that other people don't have. So if I'm up here and I'm preaching, you just got to want it. You just got to go after it. You just got to drive for it. You just have what I I'm doing is I had 10 different skills that I have learned through reading, through process, through failure that I developed that took me to change, but I'm not le- I'm leaving those out and I'm just pumping willpower and you leave this place and you're like, come on, Philip said I can do it, I can do it, and you go out there and it's not Monday afternoon and you've already blown it. And you feel like, I guess I just don't have the willpower that he has. And the truth of it is, is that it wasn't willpower that did it for me in the first place. And I love this because what that teaches us, if it's, if it's not my willpower, see, this is good news for you. Because if you failed on, on 10 diets, and you failed on what you were trying to achieve in your life, you couldn't pass the the nursing test, you couldn't get into that school, you wanted to be a lawyer and you didn't, you wanted, and it didn't work out and you feel like I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to, I, I guess I just don't have the drive, I guess I just don't have the willpower, I guess I don't have what it takes. No, here's the thing, we just have to learn how to change. It's not willpower. There is a way to change. There are, there are skills to change. There, there are things that we have to do to change. And I, I want to share just these last few thoughts, because I believe it's going to help you understand what you're up against. Now, we're just talking about awareness tonight. Next week, we're going to get into the, the rest. We're going to start talking about attention and the things, how you have to pay, the price you have to pay. But in your brain, this is all in this book. Now, I'm taking this all, I almost failed biology. But in, the, in this book right here, in this book right here, it made it so simple and so practical. And this is, this is what it says. And this is why I want you to understand what you're really up against. Because it's not just that you don't love Jesus enough. Come on, have you ever, have you ever felt that? Have you ever even maybe even heard that preached before? You just don't love God enough. You just don't love Jesus. You're not praying enough. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing this enough. And you're just like, I'm doing everything that I know to do, my God. This is what you're up against. This is what you have to be aware of. During the course of your day, your con- the conscious part of your brain operates only 5% of, of your day, 5% of your life. Your subconscious operates 95%. The subconscious is your database of stored memories. What it basically is, it's like the hard drive of your computer. It's what runs all the programs that make the computer work, and your subconscious is basically what runs your life on a daily basis, and it makes your life work. Here's why this is so important for you to know, because the subconscious mind, it is so much more powerful and it's so much faster. Just just get these statistics. The subconscious mind can process internal and external stimuli at a rate of 20 million per second. 20 million 
per second. Your subconscious mind is processing external and internal, in, internal stimuli. 20 million per second. Your conscious mind? 40 per second. 40 per second. You say, why is this important to me? Why, why, does, this, why does this matter to me? I'm going to read this right out of the book. This is why it matters to you. An important difference between these two minds, talking about the subconscious and the conscious, is that the conscious mind is the self that we are. Who we are and how we see ourselves is a product of the conscious mind. Who you declare in that mirror, this is who I am in Christ. I am a new creation. This is who I am. I am. Whenever you, you speak that declaration, I'm an overcomer more than a conqueror. Who you are, and that is only in the part of your brain that is running 5% of your daily life. Your conscious mind, it's the, only, it's the only part of your mind that knows who you are and who you want to be. It also, listen to this, it also has the ability to be aware of events in the past as well as the one, as well as the ones we anticipate in the future, whereas the subconscious mind learns from the past and is based on past experiences, but only deals with the present. So my conscious mind is what looks to the future. So when I say the best is yet to come, when I begin to speak these things about my future, my subconscious mind it ain't it can't even go there. It only deals with my past experiences up until the present. But it's running 95% of my life today. It says here that your subconscious is always on duty in the, in the here and now. And the subconscious has no awareness of the self or who we are. When you stand up and you declare those things of who you are, when you go through that, that's in your conscious mind. It's happening five, only five, it's only running 5% of your day. Your subconscious mind has no clue who you are. It just knows everything that you have been. And it's running 95% of your day. Ever have someone, this is what the book says, ever have someone push your buttons? <laughs> ever have a husband that push your buttons? All those buttons that other people push, listen, are in our subconscious. And since the subconscious processes so quickly, when someone pushes one of our buttons, we often react before we even think. You know what you're really reacting out of? Listen to this. You're reacting out of the subconscious. Do you know when the database of your subconscious got filled up? When you got programmed in your subconscious mind? By the time you were six years old, the programming of your subconscious mind was pretty much complete. Science say that the hard drive appears to be completely full at six years old. And that remains our program until we deal with it. Come on now, this is powerful. 
what your parents said to you when you were four years old programmed in your subconscious. The way you saw your dad respond to situations programmed your subconscious. The way that your parents fought, it programmed your subconscious. The way that you saw somebody cheat or steal or lie programmed in your subconscious. You see why awareness is so important? Because you feel like I'm not a good enough person today. And if you haven't dealt with the subconscious, we're going to get into this in, in the next week. But if you haven't dealt with the subconscious in your conscious, you're saying, I want to be this person. I want to live for God. I want to be holy. I want to make a difference. I want to be, I want to be a culture changer. I want to be Christ-centered. I want to, I want to, I want to, this is who I want to be. This is who I am. And in your subconscious, you're saying, wait a minute, when you were five years old, this is what they said about you. Your mom told you that you were stupid every single day. And now God says you're an overcomer, but your subconscious is running 95% of your day, and it's reminding you of the program that's already there. So we end up in this struggle. Can't you see this struggle now? The struggle to get on the right pathway with our conscious mind. Listen to this. Your conscious mind fighting against your subconscious mind. Your conscious mind is going to always lose. It's going to always lose. It will lose every single time. It gets worn down and it gets defeated. And this is why willpower is not enough. Because that's where your willpower is, in your conscious mind. But your subconscious has all of these, all of these past memories about how much you love chocolate chip cookies and all the warmth that those chocolate chip cookies get and how your mom used to bake you chocolate chip cookies when you got home from school and how that made you feel. And you can feel it on the... And in your subconscious mind, you have all that. But your conscious says, no, this is the year we lose. 10 pounds. This is a year we're going to do this. I rebuke those chocolate chip cookies in Jesus' name. I am stronger than those chocolate chip cookies. Those chocolate chip cookies don't have anything on me. But your subconscious saying, "Woo! don't you love those milk chocolate chips in there? How sweet those things are. And you're like, before long, you're like, give me some of them chocolate chip cookies. Why? Because your conscience gets worn down. And now it's funny when you're talking about chocolate chip cookies, but it's not funny when you're talking about your calling and your purpose and your destiny. Your conscious mind saying, this is who I want to be, and your subconscious is saying, no, 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 no. I want to be a person that gives grace and mercy. But my father was full of revenge. It's programmed in my subconscious. So whenever I find myself, somebody pushing my buttons, I, I saw the way that my mom used to lash out in anger and scream at the kids and lash out at us. And so now when somebody pushes my buttons, it doesn't matter that I've read the word of God. And, and, and the, or, or let's just say this, it doesn't matter that I know what I should do. It doesn't matter that I say, okay, I know that I should be kind. I know that I should give grace. I know that a soft answer turns away wrath. I know all these scriptures, and yet somebody pushes my buttons, and in a moment, ha, I lash out at them. Why does that happen? Because it's programmed into my subconscious. And this is why we have to be aware because you got to be aware of what you're fighting against. You got to know. It's not just you today. 
It's not that you just don't love Jesus enough, not holy enough, not righteous enough, not that you don't want enough, not that you're not reading your Bible enough. You have to know. You have to be aware. There are two paths. I play a part in this, but I have to know what I'm up against. I am up against a sinful mind that was created to lean towards negativity, to always have a negative bias, and I was pre-programmed at six years old to think and react the way that I'm thinking and reacting now unless I begin to reprogram my subconscious which is possible. It's possible. And it's powerful. It's possible and it's powerful. And I'm going to begin to tell you how we begin to reprogram our subconscious next week. I'm going to walk you through the steps that we begin to do, how you begin to reprogram your subconscious mind. Because just because your dad talked to you that way or just because your mom put that label on you, you don't have to live with it all of your life, but you have to deal with it if you don't want to live with it. Because you can't come into a situation and be trying to think in your conscious mind 40 per second versus 200 million per second. Your subconscious will kick your conscious butt every single time. And all of a sudden, you're going to revert back to who you saw, who you used to be, who you were programmed for. All of those past experiences at six years old. Which brings us to an amazing point when, when God tells us in his word that you are to raise up your child in the way that they should go. I'm telling you, the Word of God is profound. Science is only proving how profound the Word of God actually is. Because when the writer wrote that, maybe what he didn't realize was what, you got six years. You have six years to program your child in the way that they should go. You can't start programming at 12 when they start getting a little dysfunctional and then start quoting the Scripture. I'll raise you up in the way that you should go. You, you got six years to program. Now, here's the thing. If you think about you say, man, I didn't do too good in those first six years. It's just harder. It's not that you can't do it. It's just harder. It's just more difficult. It's just that they, they've already been hardwired. It's just, it's just the, the, the database is already full. I can go back in and change because we're going to be talking about that next week. So it might just not be for you. It might also be for your kids next week. So you might really need to make sure that you're here whenever we talk about wh how do you begin to reprogram your subconscious. And so what, what we realize in the scriptures is that when we raise up our child in the way that they should go, we raise up the child from the time they are born to the time that they are six. And what we model in front of them and what we speak over them is literally connecting the wires in their brain. This is, this is fascinating. I'm going to let you go now. I've been talking way too long. But your brain is literally wired together. So I'm not speaking from biology. I'm speaking from what I've learned from Dr. David Stoop. Your brain cells begin to fire. And when they begin to communicate with one another, firing with one another, what happens is they get wired together. When they fire together, they get wired together. And they get wired together by these chemicals. There's 50 different chemicals, little things in your brain, and, 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 and it's kind of like the glue, and it sticks there. And that's how they communicate with one another. So literally, 
what really happens when, when, when we start talking next week is literally the, what has been wired together. Six years old, you're wired together. And so that's why you live the rest of your life, and you're always looking for what you always have seen. And so because that's what you understand, and you're always looking. So whenever you see that anger again, you're like, oh, yeah, I know, what that, I know what's about to happen. I know it because I'm, I'm wired together. I, I, I see that. And that's how you continue to live. And even though you say, hey, I don't want to be like my mom or I don't want to be like my dad, what happens is if I don't really deal with it, if all I do is say that because I say I don't want to be them and I'm still wired that way, guess what? I still see the same things in my life that were in their life because that's, what, that's how my brain is wired together and it's firing together. So what you literally have to do is, is this what happens in, in your brain? It's God, God's amazing. And what happens is, is literally you pull apart your brain cells and you basically put a different connector in there and you literally rewire your brain. You, when, when Paul wrote this and he said, you change the way you think, he's literally talking about us being transformed by changing our structure of our brain. He didn't know what he was saying. But science is now proving the word of God that we can change. So what we do is we get into the subconscious and we begin to change. We, we literally begin to pull apart brain cells and put them back together the way that God intended for them to be. And that's how we change. That's how we change. This is the way that we change the way that we think. And it starts with awareness. And here's what we have to, you have to leave tonight knowing that you're aware of two paths. I'm aware that I choose my path. I'm aware that transformation is possible. And I'm aware of what I'm up against, a negative bias and uh, losing willpower, that that's not going to be enough. I have to know what I am up against. And once I'm aware of what I'm up against, now I can begin to give attention. And when I give attention, I start paying attention. Now I can begin to change my subconscious mind. I can begin to literally rewire my brain so that my brain will begin to think about different things. Now, after I go through that process, whenever I encounter that situation that was different than what I saw when I was six, but I have reprogrammed my brain to think a different way, now, whenever somebody tries to push my button, guess what? They're going to get a different response out. Why? Because I have reprogrammed myself to think and to live God's way. And it's possible for every single one of us. Come on, let's bow our heads. Father, God, I pray in these next few moments, uh, God, that uh, in these next few days, in these next few weeks, God, I, I pray, God, that you would cause us to be aware, cause us to be aware of what we're facing. Cause us to be aware. There are two paths. We have to choose every day which path we are going to take. Nobody chooses for us. Let us be aware that transformation is possible. Transformation is possible. God, you said it was possible. If you said it, you can do it. God, let us be aware of what we are up against. God, it's not just that we are failures. It's not just that we aren't strong enough. It's not that there's just something wrong with just us as individuals. No, God, let us understand what we are up against. We were born into sin, leaning towards the negative with the willpower that would always lose. Father, I pray as we are aware of what we're up against that you would show us in these next few weeks 
how we can take the steps of transforming our mind, of beginning to think your thoughts so that we can begin to live the life that you created us to live, so that we can be who you created us to be. God, it is possible, and God, I believe that you are going to do it for us as we go on this journey of changing to change in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. Give the Lord some praise tonight.